source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. seek the Lord together in prayer. Lord, we depend upon you to open up our eyes, to see the glory of Christ, to see the glory of your word. Lord, we know that we will not obey you any more than we love you. We will not obey you any more than we truly worship you and honor you and adore you, admire you. So, Lord, we pray, increase in our hearts a true fear of God, that fear of reverence and awe and respect and honor and adoration and trust. Bless us, Lord, to grow in this grace so that we would truly give ourselves up to you, O gracious, gracious God. We pray this for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, I think it's important, uh, if you're new or not new to this study in Romans, to realize the context where we are, especially when we're rapid fire giving these commandments, or Paul is here, uh, that the context is that of the mercy of God that has been shown to us in Christ Jesus, that we have forgiveness through Christ, that we have been so associated with Christ that God accepts us in Christ and that he has given his spirit to transform us uh, so that we even in our identification and being joined with Christ have gone through a death and resurrection with him so that we've died to our old life and we have a new life in him. So a new relationship with God in which we have acceptance and the covering and protection, as it were, of belonging and of being associated with Jesus Christ. And so we have this freedom to change, this vigorous atmosphere in which we can really look at our lives honestly because we are accepted in Christ Jesus. 
We respond to the mercy of God by wanting to give ourselves up to this God who has shown us mercy. And that's where he begins this very chapter. Because of these mercies, present yourself. And notice, don't present yourself as something dead and lost and hopeless, but something that is now living, something that has been transformed, something that has gone from death to life. And now we give ourselves up in this new life that we have in him, uh, born of the Holy Spirit, uh, so that we no longer will walk in the way of the world that is against God, but we seek more and more to be completely given up to His will. So this, this giving up of yourself to God is born out of adoration. It's born out of admiration, out of a desire for Him, and a love for Him, a delight in Him. And that's, that, that's why we give ourselves to Him, because we trust Him. See, trust is born... In worship, trust is born in admiration. You put yourself in his hands because you think, what wonderful hands, what glorious hands to be in his hands, to do his will. And all of his will, all of his commands come with the same love with which he gave his own son. Every command is for our good. Every command comes with his devotion to us and to our good. So this is the context of these commands, and we must never forget that. It's not just do this, do this, do this, but because you are a new creature in Christ, uh, and because of the mercies of God, give yourself away. And as we saw last week, the kind of the headliner, the uh, really this this. It's kind of the title of this section is Let Love Be Genuine, verse 9. So a sincere love, and we saw that it's not only for those with us, but those against us. And so this morning we're going to get more into that part, uh, beginning with verse 14 and following. Uh, even though there's some still mixed in of with us, some that seems to apply more to the fellowship of, of Christians. But... The important thing is to see that love manifests itself within the body and outside the body. Love manifests itself in every relationship. It really is helpful if we can keep a few things in mind as our goals every day. And and this one's pretty simple, isn't it? Love God with all your heart and love everybody you meet today. Just love them, love them, love them, love them. And that's what this is. It's an exposition of love. This is the way love looks. This is the richness of love, all of its different uh, facets, how it reacts, how, what it does. And so this is a great passage to memorize, of course, a great passage to know, a great passage to examine yourself by and say, am I showing the features of love that are here? Much like we do with 1 Corinthians 13, that chapter of, of love. <clears throat> Well, we got to verse 13 last uh, week, and so I want to, we got to verse 12, through verse 12. I'd like to start with verse 13, and this obviously is still an application to the uh, saints themselves, specifically are, are said here, contributing to the needs of the saints. The interesting word, I'm to share in their need by meeting that need. But it's, it's not a distant thing. It's not just, oh, you need something, let me give it to you. But it's to associate, to be intimate with, to know that need, to feel that need, to come alongside of that need, and then to really meet that need, whatever it is. And 
probably foremost is a physical need, financial need, but every need is regarded in this way. But have fellowship in one another's needs. That's really what's being said here. And, and that means, and of course, that ties in so much with uh, verse 15, doesn't it? Rejoice with those that rejoice, weep with those that weep. And that's built upon the relationship that we have to one another. Paul says, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 12, in a similar passage, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 12.26. Some have said that the first statement is to rejoice with those that rejoice. He puts that first because that's the hardest one to do. Really the hardest one. To truly rejoice in someone else's uh, happiness. To rejoice as though the occasion was our own. Oh, that's so hard, you know. So much does jealousy come in. Hatred and malice are so native to us. But this indicates the transformation that's spoken of in verse 2. To be transformed and not be like the world. The world, no, I want me to be on top. I want to be the one to have gotten that honor. I want to be the one that got that money, not this person or that one. Those are superficial things, but just saying whatever it is that we act as though, we feel as though it happened to me. I don't know about you, but we're talking miracles here, you know, (laughs) at least from my heart. We're talking part the Red Sea, change the leopard spots. It's just the grace of God that we could, we could have this kind of sincere love for one another so that we share in the needs and we share in the joy and the mourning of one another. So that love enters deeply into one another's experiences and emotions, one another's laughter and tears. We feel a solidarity with one another, whatever their mood. And the difficulty of that is you start being kind of controlled by other people. In, in a good sense, you know. And life can't just be, you know, simple and free of care. Paul talks often, even though he, used, he, he says in uh, Philippians that we're to, uh, not to be anxious for anything. At the same time, he says, I always have an anxiety for the church. So there's an anxiety that's not good, that we're never to have a selfish anxiety, but there is a healthy anxiety for one another. And Paul says, I always have this anxiety, this care for the church. Church was always on his heart, always talking about how he poured his heart out for the church because he was so burdened, so, so attached to the people of God. He said one time to the Thessalonians, now, now I can rejoice because Timothy's brought back word that you're doing okay. I was really struggling there because I didn't know how you were doing. Now I found out. Now I can, I can fly. I can soar. <laughs> and that's the hard part is really to be attached to one another so that your heart goes in and out with people. And yet, that's the sweetest thing in the world. It's the sweetest thing in the world to really feel for other people. Whether it's joy or sadness. To have that kind of love is the most freeing, glorious thing a person can have and be in their lives, even though it is hard at times, even though it throws you around in your heart. It's still the most glorious thing in the world because in this we're becoming more and more like God himself.
who had mercy on us and even to the point of giving his son. He was so concerned about us. Amazing. I love what, uh, that passage where he says, He who touches you touches the apple of my eye. You know, the apple is the pupil. And here's God saying to you, If somebody touches you and hurts you, it's like I get poked in the eye. Really? I thought you were just the distant, you know, the holy other, as Bart said. No, he's the holy present, holy involved in us, God. And we are to be this way toward one another by God's grace. So we share in one another's needs. We rejoice and weep with one another. Uh, We open up our doors to one another, as he says. We seek to show hospitality. You've heard how bad it was then. The uh, inns were dangerous and dirty places. There were plays that had little sections of jokes about uh, raiding inns and hotels, we would say, based on how many cockroaches are there. (laughs) That was just known that you you don't stay in these places. So hospitality was, was critical at that time. And there was a There was a lot of travel, some persecution and scattering of Christians. So uh, they were to open up their homes uh, constantly for people. Um, And this particularly is talking about believers. But it says, pursue hospitality. It's not like if it comes your way, but you go after them. You find them. You make sure they're... Uh, not going to have to stay somewhere. Origen said, we are not just to receive the stranger when he comes to us, but actually to inquire after and look carefully for strangers, to pursue them and search them out everywhere, lest perchance somewhere they may sit in the streets or lie without a roof over their heads. Um, Well, and of course, from the greater to the lesser, uh, we can open up our homes and uh, if, if you're to do that, Certainly, we should be opening up our homes to one another. If that's the great thing, what about the lesser of having one another in our homes and constantly spending time together and having meals or having dessert or just having a glass of water together? But uh, we're to show hospitality. And in fact, the elders, it's specifically said in both lists of elders that they're given to hospitality. It's to be the very mark of leadership within the church. The same thing, of course, in verse 16, and I'll I'll drop back and pick up verse 14 to uh, bring it with the last section, but to live in harmony with one another. This probably, again, is applying more to uh, the church itself. Uh, Do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The idea of uh, having the same mind toward one another really is what he's saying, verse 16. Having the same mind of Christ toward one another is the meaning as he gives it more fully in Philippians chapter 2. The mind of being humble before one another, the mind of serving one another, of giving yourself away to one another. Have that same mind. You're kind of falling over each other, you know, in that sense of of service. Uh, And obviously this would mean that we're not a haughty but associating with the lowly. With ordinary, as one says, ordinary, unimportant people and with the outcasts of society. And certainly God treated us that way. 
We were the outcasts. We had, we had thrown ourselves out of the house of God. And he came looking for us and he associated himself with us. He associated himself and became lowly with us. Amazing that the Son of God takes the role of servanthood to the worst, deepest place on the cross, as Paul talks about in Philippians 2. And he says, you have that same mind toward one another, that you're not trying to you know, decide what the status is in the church. You're not trying to see who's up and who's down, uh, not trying to say, well, who's the most important person? I, we had people in the downtown church in uh, Columbus uh, come through and actually figure out which church was going to be the best for their business. You know. And usually it wasn't the Presbyterian because we were smaller than the Methodists and the Baptists. So we had a lot of first-time visitors that way. Uh, I like to think, not because of my preaching, you know, but I'm sure I'm crazy in that. <clears throat> but don't, don't tell me otherwise. Um, <clears throat> But I actually knew, and uh, I had several people who knew these people and would say, yeah, they, they ended up at the so-and-so church because they could just tell that the connections were going to be better there. You know, they were more of their type there, etc. So this, it's always a sign of the worldliness of the church, particularly when the leaders no longer associate as readily and freely with humble people, both inside and outside the church. And that's a sad thing when leadership is now just trying to associate itself with those who are socially superior. Uh, Or you feel like you're no longer free to speak to other people or you're not approachable, etc. This kind of haughty mind. Certainly, of all things, leadership and Christians in general should demonstrate. And this is going to be the hardest thing as we have some hopeful future of ministry in the, the apartments around here, you know that somebody just looking at the parking lot is not going to feel comfortable. They're just going to look at the parking lot, or they may come in and just see the way we look, say, ah, I don't fit in here. These are middle-class people. These are upper-middle-class people. There are not many of my class here. What would keep them here? What would, what would break through that? Brokenness, humility, love that just stretches out and shows them, I'm, I'm your servant. I'm no better than you. I'm, I'm the lowest of the low. I'm with Paul. I'm the lowest of saints. I'm the lowest of sinners. God has rescued me. That's all that I am. I'm a beggar offering you what I have in Christ Jesus. That kind of heart, that kind of life among ourselves and that pouring itself out to others, um, who, who, with whom we come in contact with. So never be wise in your own sight. Do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. So these are this is kind of a summing up of the parts of this that uh, most would say these pertain to the body of Christ. But not only love for those who are with us, but love for those who are against us. And he begins in verse 14 with that, and then he takes it up again in verse 17. So in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. The repeat shows that this is a hard thing. Bless those who curse you. Yeah, but I want to bless those who curse you. Yeah, but I want to curse. No, I, I said bless, don't curse. You know, almost catches you because we, we so quickly, this is such a basic part of our humanity. Uh, it, it is important, I think, to ask when you 
come into a room and two children have been fighting and you say, who started it? And yes, it is important to find that out. But it's very important that we don't then say, well, okay, you're absolved because you hit him four times because he hit you first, right? That's okay. If he hit you first, then whatever he got, that's, that's what he deserved. Pretty much runs into the face of this passage, doesn't it? That retaliation and vengeance is not ours. Now, uh, there are some other things that I, I think that may come into play of you think, at some point, some bullies needs, just need to get it. And I understand those kinds of things, you know, that may happen on a certain level. But the governing thing in our life must be to get at this, this heart of retaliation and vengeance that we all have. So he actually says, bless those. And, and blessing, of course, comes from God. This indicates that we, with Jesus, are praying God's blessings upon the very people that hurt us. Praying for God's good to come to them. Praying for God's richness to come to them spiritually and in other ways. That God would pour out His goodness into their lives. I have found, uh, I think I told you about this uh, after these kids uh, ran through our yard two or three different times. And I pictured how I was going to make their tires blow up, all four of them. And pictured how they would be in the middle of the street, you know, and all this. I pictured exactly, you know, how I was going to do it. You know, how I was going to pop up and it would, you know, all these things I was thinking about. And, and of course, that kind of thing started running through my mind a lot until I began genuinely praying for their salvation. I didn't know who they were and they may be Christians, who knows. But I began praying for good for them. And I, I began to pray... And eventually, I really became earnest. I really, I have to say, I sensed a love for those boys or boy, whoever many, probably several, you know. Like the time I was in my driveway on a Sunday morning, and I was going out to my car. We had a hill that we lived up on a hill a little bit. And as I was going to my car, the worst thing in the world you want to see, a police car pulls into the driveway. I thought, oh no, what in the world? And then he got out and said, you have a teenage son? Oh, yes, I do. What happened? And then he got a smile on his face. And I thought, maybe the world hadn't ended, you know? (laughs) He said, have you seen your front porch? I said, no, I haven't. Well, the friends of my teenage son had taken an old... uh, uh, telephone booth, not the one that encloses, but an old telephone booth. It was out of the ground with this big cement cement bottom, and it was on our porch. You know, <laughs> I was so glad to see that telephone thing. That's why he asked if I had a teenage son, because he knew some teenage boys had done that. He just knew, you know. And uh, so I woke my son up, hugged him, you know, <laughs> thanks that you were not being sought by the police today. Um <clears throat> So probably a group of teenage boys. But the, the difference in my life was to begin to bless them, to begin to pray for them. And this doesn't need to be just confined to enemy. This is in a situation of real persecution. This is in a situation where people were taking away your house, throwing you into prison, harming you. I mean, we find it hard when somebody pulls in front of us. We're going to curse them. 
We're not praying for, Lord, bless that person that just pulled out in front of me. Or even if they stay at the light and you miss the light because they were on their cell phone and, and you're like, Dare! you know, not that I've ever been that way, but I've seen people in other cars that act like that. <clears throat> but on every level and then on the level of even your loved ones, even family members. The way we can develop a bitterness, a long-standing bitterness, a long-standing resolve that we aren't going to speak to so-and-so. We're not going to be around so-and-so. We're certainly not going to do kind things for so-and-so. So blessing and not cursing. And notice the same thing in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Now, what's interesting about that is what is honorable in the sight of all, that we're to be considering what the world generally, unless it is out of line with you know, our Christian convictions, but to give weight to the very culture that we live in and what's important in our culture to be uh, proper and, and, and to do the right thing. You know, certain cultural rules or certain politeness or courteousness, these kinds of things. Whatever is even right in the sight of those people, we're to respect that. And he's talking about an oppressed people and how they are to manifest Christ in this oppressed situation. First Thessalonians 5, he says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. First Thessalonians 5.15 So, and many other passages that we could give for this. Here's an interesting one in Exodus 23. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Can't you see it? Your enemy who's done so many wrong things and there his donkey is in trouble. Oh, look here. Look what's happening with your donkey. Well, I think I'll just let it sit there, you know. So easy because you didn't really do anything to the donkey, did you? You didn't put it there. You didn't like cut its legs out from under it. Poor donkey, poor guy. Here it is. This is in the Old Testament saying, let your love be sincere for your enemy. So sincere that you serve his needs. You meet his needs. And that's what he goes on to say. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And so in every way... We're to uh, give ourselves, one, one, one writer said this, it's not only that we must refrain from cursing, we must not let their evil take the edge off of our love for them. Don't let their, their evil weaken in any way my love for them. Holy. Talk about impossible. Talk about needing the grace of God, talk about needing to be transformed by the renewing of our minds by the mighty Holy Spirit of God. To love like God loves, that's the point. You know, Jesus said, everybody likes those that like them. That's, that's no big deal. You haven't shown that you're a son of God. You haven't really shown the fatherly likeness. 
the, the, the child likeness to the father until you love those that hate you. Then you begin to be like God who did what for us? He reconciled us while enemies. We were enemies, real enemies, real hateful, spiteful, idolatrous, adulterous enemies of God. And he gave his son for his enemies. No surprise, is it? No surprise that God would say, now you live out my love in that way. And of course, as in all the commands of God, this grace, this ability to love those who hate you is the most freeing thing psychologically, spiritually, emotionally for you. It it promotes the greatest health and well-being in your life that you are not uh, affected or or drawn in to the evil to give back what was given to you. And this is why Calvin says, although there's hardly anyone who's made such advance in the law of the Lord that he fulfills this precept, no one can boast that he is a child of God or glory in the name of a Christian who has not partially undertaken this course and does not struggle daily to resist the will to do the opposite. So he's not saying we're there, but he's saying this must be the course. We must fight against that kind of um, retaliation. I love what Peter says about this in 1 Peter 3. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, same thing, For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. You see, we're the blessed ones, and therefore we get to bless others. We get to enter into giving to others, praying for others, the blessings that have come to us when we were enemies. And so now it's a new island of blessing uh, that God brought blessing to our lives, and now we're bringing blessing to create more islands of blessing as, as God uses us in other people's lives. And he says here uh, that we're to serve them and to give ourselves away to them in very tangible ways, doesn't he? In in verse uh, 20. So we... We not only don't curse, but we actively give, we actively serve. And we need to look at this little phrase. He says, leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that you serve them saying, you're going to get yours, you're going to get yours. You know, you're just so glad that they're going to get theirs. And, And that way you can just laugh as you serve them. But it does take... It does show us that this, number one, is belongs in the hand of God. It, it's, it's not ours. It, it is His office. <laughs> it, it is His responsibility. And it leaves us free to say whatever needs to happen in God's justice, however poorly, however unfairly I've been treated, however badly my reputation has gone because of lies, I ultimately can entrust God with that. And it leaves us free simply to love, free to serve others uh, because we, are, uh, we don't have to worry about vengeance. 
God will take care of this. And it might, it might seem that this is uh, a low motive, uh, but it says of Christ himself, 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So even Christ poured himself out, did not revile in return. He prayed for those we know, uh, forgive them for they know not what they do. And many have said, of course, that this is the heart of the blessing that was poured out on Jerusalem when 3,000 people were converted that first day of the Spirit uh, was poured out. Christ had prayed for them. Christ had prayed that God would bless them, that he would forgive them. And forgive them he did as thousands came to know Christ. Thousands received the forgiveness of God uh, through Jesus Christ. And so Peter goes on later in that letter in chapter 4 verse 19. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And one of the things to give room for the wrath of God is to remember we deserve the wrath of God. We must give room for the wrath of God realizing that we ourselves deserve that wrath. And we've been saved from it by God's grace. And we can only hope that God's mercy would come to those who are our enemies as well. As His mercy has come to us, that His mercy would come to them. So it's to realize that I deserve to be wholly consumed by God's wrath. But God himself and his son has borne that wrath for me. And so in a sense, the vengeful sword is just taken out of my hand. It's interesting in a passage in 2 Chronicles, uh, when the northern, uh, uh, the northern tribes were had captured the southern tribes and they were really working them over and they were going to enslave them and all of these things. And when the prophet spoke to them about what they were doing and they were doing it to their avowed enemies, the southern tribes, he stops them in their tracks and says this, Have you not sins of your own against the Lord your God? You know, when we take vengeance, it's as though we're sinless. I'm sinless. The wrath of God needs to fall on them. I'm going to make sure it does, and I'm going to hope for it because I'm the sinless one. God may have mercy. I'm not going to have. God may have given his son to die for sinners. I don't need that death. I don't, I'm going to take on wrath myself. You see, that's the sense here. It's not my place. I've been saved from it by God's mercy, and I should only hope for it for other people as well. And so... Our love becomes an extension and a reflection of God's love when we meet the evil and the hostility of the world with love in this way. And so he ends this section, verse 21, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And by the way, this little phrase, heap burning coals on his head, probably indicates not so much shame as a shocking transformation that will occur in that person's life. I won't give all the background, but studies show that this uh, is probably what he means here. 
that you will bring about change in his life. And that's the very thing that Peter and Jesus talk about, that if while suffering you continue to do good, this will draw people to glorify God. Even those who were against you and and spoke against you as evildoers, Peter says, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And this has been the way of Christians transforming the world for for 2,000 years of a shocking, transforming love that people couldn't even believe. And in that sense, it, it, we might say it's like water in their face. It's, it's like being shocked, you know, uh, but because we're giving service and love in a place they, they just can't expect it. They, they couldn't dream that we're going to care for them in that way under those conditions. And so in this way, we manifest the love of God. And the point is, to be overcome by evil, you see, to, to retaliate is just to bow down my life and say, evil, take me. It means that I'm being drawn into the same evil. It doesn't justify because somebody did something to me first. Then I do the same evil toward them. I multiply the evil. But by God's grace, to manifest the love which God has shown to me, then evil is overcome with good. The love of God becomes the dominant thing in my life. And I choose by His grace how I will love. And God will give us this grace to walk in this new freedom because we are those living by the grace of God who are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. May God give us this grace. Let us pray. O Lord. We pray that you would continually sink our roots into the love of Jesus Christ. Sink our roots into forgiveness, Lord, into knowing that we have been saved from the wrath of God at the greatest cost that God himself has paid. And, O Lord, may it set us free. May we know our acceptance in Christ. May we know that we are loved in him. And Lord, may you bring about in our lives sincere love, as Paul says here. A love that comes so deep, it's, it's so from the heart, it, it's what we are through and through. Lord, we know we won't be perfect in this love, but we pray for this sincere love that enters into one another's lives, that responds to wrong in this way. A love that is the very love of God, born in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, may we grow day by day by day, walking more and more and more in the freedom of the sincere love of Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. pleasing is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Shades of night and change.
chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?